0: Now over to Pastor Steve.
1: Which takes us into part two, what you're redeemed from. You're specifically redeemed from the curse, the curse. Galatians chapter three, I'm going to read these four verses, uh, five verses and And I'm just gonna refresh your mind because we were doing some expository teaching last week and I'm gonna kinda try to pick up where I was last week that way I don't re-preach because I know me. (laughs) Verse 10, all who rely on works of the law. And I do wanna pause here for a minute because you're gonna see this of the law a lot. There's the curse of the law, there's blessings of the law, there's works of the law, there's a lot of of the law things that are in your Bible. And it's, it's, it's important for us to understand what the Bible, what the New Testament specifically is referencing. A lot of people think of the law and they immediately think, oh, 10 Commandments. And that's not what Paul would have been thinking. If you don't think what they think, then you're not gonna conclude what they concluded. If you do not think like a 2,000 year ago Jewish Christian, then you are gonna not likely get what's being told or taught. And so let let me encourage you, when you're reading the scriptures, do not read them like a modern progressive American. You read them like a modern progressive American and you and Paul are gonna be on different planets. You and Jesus, different planets. You and Moses, different planets. And you are not gonna have a clue what's going on. So read it the way they wrote it. Put your mind there, go there. The works of the law or anything of the law, law referenced Torah and it was a whole way of life. It wasn't just the Ten Commandments, but it was included. It wasn't just like Levitical standards, but that was included. It wasn't just societal ways that you were supposed to operate with each other like the Levitical laws, but it was included. All of that went in there. And then also you got to pick up Joseph what he did right and did wrong, what how Moses lived and what was right and what was wrong there and what Joshua did. Like all of these things are part of what they would have called Torah. And so this isn't just like hey don't murder, don't steal, don't covet and you're doing the works of the law because I got news for you, you shouldn't murder, steal or covet. It's a good thing to not do any of those things. And so if you think that what these statements are, don't do the works of the law, you're gonna say, all right, the works of the law is don't murder. It says don't do the works of the law, so I should go murder some folks and I'll be in right standing with God. No Christian probably has ever thought that. But because we don't know what's being taught here, like, well, I shouldn't do the works of the law, but isn't not murdering one of the works of the law? It's talking about the works of the law, living all of Torah life and living it for the purpose of being in right standing with God. You can't live perfect Torah life and earn your way into right standing with God. You will never get there. You're in right standing with God because of Jesus Christ and from Him alone. You were saved by grace through faith. And that's not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not of works. What works? Works of the law. So that none of you can boast. We all got here the same way. We realized we were a mess and we needed to die. So we went to the cross with Jesus. He took our death. We allowed the old man to die, and then we took his resurrection. Jesus got the worst half of this deal. He got our death. We get his life. That's the way it is. So now we can live in this new divine life. Now we can live in accordance to the way God intended humanity to live, which is way broader than Torah. Way broader. There's a lot of things Torah didn't touch on. A lot of what was going on in Torah, just so you know, they were social laws. They were national laws. Thou shalt not covet is beneficial for a community. (coughs) If you have a community that lives coveting each other, you will tear apart the community a lot of what was going on there was for community. He was establishing the nation of Israel. He was saying, hey, you need to live this way. It's gonna be better. And these, these weren't laws that were just unique to Israel. If you go and look at the Mesopotamian um, ancient people, Near Eastern groups, a lot of those people groups had the exact same laws. If you crossed the, the border and you went over to the land of the Philistines, guess what? It was illegal to murder. It wasn't a brand new Jewish thing. Hey, you know, we probably shouldn't kill each other. Man, that's a great idea. <laughs> they knew that societies would not function. This is why it, it's so, it, is, it violates rational thought to think about what's going on in the sexuality of America. You cannot perpetuate a society under the ideas of the experts. Right now, you cannot be trans or gay or any of those things and perpetuate a society. Those things will only tear apart a society. It will only destroy the nuclear family. It will only destroy the identity of the individuals in it. And it will turn the entire society. The end goal of a lot of these sexual malformations that have come into people's ways of thinking and believing, the end goal is pedophilia. And if you think I'm being flamboyant, I can show you documentation from nearly every one of these groups that their end goal is to get to the children. Why? To destroy the society. You destroy the kids, you destroy a society. It's just that simple. And a lot of Christians are like, yeah, I can't believe that they do that. But what have you done? Before we're real quick to throw stones at all those people, what have you done? So a lot of folks in this room you haven't made it um important to raise your kids in godliness, to raise your grandkids in godliness. If I go test your kid. Hey, what's it mean to live righteous? What's propitiation? What did Jesus do for you? Who is Jesus? I had I had a woman not that long ago. I don't know, I guess longer than I thought now when I reflect on my stories five years ago. So depending on how old you are, that's either way long time ago or that was like yesterday. (laughs) This gal and I knew her and she was a part of our church and doing stuff and um, she came up, she was, this was when we were in the funeral home and she was leaving and she was in tears after I was ministering which I kind of got used to because a lot of people would sit there and cry a lot. And I used to think I would, I'd sucked at being a minister, but then I realized like, no, these are good tears. Okay, what's a good tear? I didn't have a grid for that. I was a guy, I grew up, if you cried, it's because somebody punched you in the face. Like, and then you learn stop crying and anyway. <laughs> she was crying and I was like, hey, I'm sorry, what did I do? Men, learn something. If there's a woman upset, it's probably you. (laughs) And you need to apologize. And they'll tell you if it was or it wasn't. (laughs) No, it wasn't you, it was God. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, get him. And she was crying, and and she became very aware of basically her failure in parenting. She had a six-year-old, five- or six-year-old boy. No, seven. He was in uh, first grade six seven whatever first grade is she said i was driving down the road with my seven year seven year old the other day and uh, she was going through winslow and if you go through winslow and cross over you go across the martintown church out there and that martintown church is like the picturesque like country church it's this big white church great big tall steeple great big uh, bell tower on it, like, kind of like our building looked at one point. And on the top of their, on the side of their building, great big huge cross. And they're driving down the road and the boy from the back seat yells out to mom. She goes, mom, why do all these buildings have a great big capital T on them? Like what's the T thing all about? And she said, son, that's a cross. And he said, what's a cross? And before you groan too deep, let me ask your kids what a cross is. The reason that this new sexual revolution is working, is because they believe more in getting to the kids than we do. And they're going to get there because we're not going to stop them. You can try to protect your kids. You can hide them in the basement. You can, you can put, find my iPhone apps on their phones. You can, you can do all the cool things in the natural that you want to, but I got news for you. They're going to find them. And if you don't do on the inside of them what needs to be done, when they find them, your children will have nothing to fight with. And they will be found. They will be found. It would be way more important for you to make sure that they are raised in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, than to be raised knowing the right and wrong about sexual predators trying to give them candy with a mustache in an old panel van. And a lot of parents aren't doing that because now you gotta do heart stuff. Now you gotta have difficult conversations. Now you gotta talk about deep things. It's a whole lot easier to just let the public schools tell them what's right and wrong. Guess what? That's how they're getting to your kids. The works of the law relying on the works of the law puts you under a curse. If you just think that you're going to do good stuff and good's going to pop out, you're under a curse. All who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, for it's written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. That's the curse. If you're going to do it by your own merit, if you're going to do it by your own action, if you're going to get there by your own righteousness, you got to do it all. James in uh, James chapter 2 verse 10 says that if you break the law, if you miss in one single point, then you're guilty of the entire law. The way you could say it is like the entire law is one great big huge plate glass window and you could write the whole Torah on this huge great plate glass window. And you could keep every single point, 618 laws. You could keep all 618 except one and if you break that plate glass, the whole thing is broken. That Those front doors down there I could shoot a BB through it, or I could drive a truck through it. And either way, I'm replacing the glass. It'll, the law works the exact same way. You either keep the whole thing and you do it by all of your merit, you do it by all of your righteousness, or the whole thing is broken. You offend in one point, the whole plate glass window broken. All who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, for it's written. Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Now it's clear that no one is justified before God by the law. That's probably pretty clear to all of us. Even a a peripheral Christian is aware, like I'm not getting a whole lot from God by all of my good works. Usually you have to be kind of an arrogant Christian. You have to be in there quite a long time before you can ever surmise that. Like, well, I'm 20 years in and I've been living pretty holy. I don't even know if I sinned today. So God owes me some stuff. Okay, you need to go back to kindergarten. But when you're new to Christianity, you're like, yep, I didn't get here because I'm awesome. I got here because Jesus is awesome. You know, you should probably keep that attitude for the rest of your Christian experience. Now it's clear that no one is justified before God by the law because the righteous will live by faith. That verse is quoted four times, three times in the New Testament, and it was originated in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. I went to a Word of Faith Bible college, let me tell you. We had to basically get these tattooed on our foreheads and read them every morning. The man who is going to live the just life, You're going to do it by faith. You're not gonna do it by works. uh, Verse 12, the law, however, is not based on faith. On the contrary, the man who does these things will will live by them. If you're producing your own righteousness, you gotta keep producing it. You are gonna get tired. You're gonna sleep. And then what happens? Well, then you have a bad dream or a nightmare or something happens and you just lost it and you gotta start all over in the morning. Verse 13, Christ redeemed us. Notice the past tense. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. The law, the whole thing. It's not just, I've heard preachers preach, this is like Deuteronomy 28. And those of you that are hip to your Bible, Deuteronomy 28 is a huge chapter about, the, about blessing and curse. But it's not the curse of the law. It's a curse of the law. The curse of the law is anything that happened that came under a curse. Uh, one of those things was the garden. A- anybody remember that story? We're going to get there in case you don't. But don't think that there's some specific curse. Like you're, when you read this verse, I'm redeemed from the curse of the law. So I'm redeemed from the curse of if you murder, well then you gotta get eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. So I'm redeemed from that one. Yeah and no, you're redeemed from anything. If you can find anything associated with any kind of curse, that's what you're redeemed from. If it's in Torah, if it's in the Bible, and there's a curse associated with it, that's what you're redeemed from. The curse of the whole law. So whatever you can think got into your life by any kind of cursed activity, by you yourself or someone else, that's what you're redeemed from. In case you're not paying attention, this Was created by God to operate better than it does. And before you look at me all holy, yours don't work as awesome as it should either. That is an effect of the curse. The fact that you got to go to work and sweat and toil and slave away because money just doesn't grow on your money tree in your backyard. That's part of the curse. You know, it did grow on Adam's money tree. They had endless amounts of whatever they needed. And all they had to do was be good gardeners, make sure they took care of it. It grew. Literally, money grew on their trees. Anything that you can think of That is not in the perfection of the garden, the first two chapters of the Bible or the last two chapters of the Bible, when we're in the New Jerusalem, anything affecting your life, stress, fear, anxiety, oppression, depression, sickness, disease, symptoms, poverty, lack, any and every one of those things is associated with the curse from the fall, that's what you're redeemed from. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. This is one of those verses that just makes it hard for me, especially with Christians, not so much the world, but with Christians who are just peripheral about their Christianity, are barely engaged in their Christianity a verse like this to me would just slap them upside the face Jesus became a curse for you and you're still living purposefully in the curse you're going to be purposefully in an addiction you're going to be purposefully living a life contrary to how God intended for it to live and Jesus became a curse so that wouldn't have to happen do you even care that he was cursed for you He didn't have to do that. You know, he could have just came and come and produced salvation, said, okay, I did the thing so that all of you can go to heaven at the end of your life. And by the way, the rest of your life is gonna now, it's gonna extra super suck. Because the enemy's gonna hate you more because now you've accepted the fact that I'm gonna give you heaven in the afterlife. And so he's gonna persecute you times 10. He didn't do that. He literally came and said, not only am I going to give you eternity, but I'm going to fix you now. He didn't have to do that. And how many people are like, oh, thanks for that, Jesus. Woo-hoo, cheers. It, 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 It hurts me. Now, it doesn't hurt Jesus. He's not as offendable as I am, but I'm not there yet. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hung on a tree. Jesus hung on a tree. A cross. That was actually the verse that I quoted to that lady when she told me about her son. I said, you need to teach your son Galatians 3.13. 14, he redeemed us in order that the blessing promised to Abraham would come to the Gentiles. Anybody in here a Gentile? That you would come to the Gentiles in Christ Jesus. Notice the Gentiles that get the blessing are the ones in Christ Jesus, not just all Gentiles. So that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. That's how it gets to you. It's the spirit that gets it to you. That's why you have to be in Christ Jesus to get it. So we did uh, some expository teaching last week. Uh, I went through verse 10 and, and the main highlight there was that in Romans seven, we, uh, in verse 13 it says, but in order that sin might be exposed as sin, that's why God gave us the law. So the reason that God gave us the law was so that he could call sin, sin. Amen, and you all think that I was just being mean by saying, A beloved church, we call that bad, and we call sin, sin. I, I'm not being mean, I'm, I'm actually quoting the Bible. God had to give us the law so that we could say, oh, that's sin, yep, that's sin. Okay, check, didn't know that. My parents taught me that that's the way that we're supposed to do life. Well, your parents were wrong. Sorry. A bunch of stuff that we believe now. This is why it's important to live our lives based upon biblical values. Because a lot of things that we've been taught, especially like in this culture, it's just wrong. And when you call wrong, bad, and good, you're gonna get confused. If it's wrong, it's bad. If it's righteous, it's good. And God is the one that knows that. And and, And if you don't believe me, Uh, travel the world a little bit and go into some other cultures and find out that some of the things that we just accept over here are totally unacceptable. Just because you learned it doesn't make it right. Just because a teacher taught it to you. Just because a preacher taught it to you, God bless them, doesn't make it right. The scriptures are the ones that annotate right and wrong. The term sin means to miss the mark. God has to define the mark before he can hold us accountable for missing it. Verse 11, this is how we understand our what's called justification through faith. This is replayed over and over and over and over in nearly every epistle in all of the new covenant that you have gotta get this drilled into you over and over and over and over because it's so easy to fall back into works righteousness. So it has to get repeated over and over that you are only justified by faith in Christ Jesus. You don't get it any other way, but if you have faith in Christ Jesus, you are justified. We don't often get this drilled into us personally. We might hear it in messages, we might, we might read it in the Bible, yep, 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 I'm saved by grace through faith, got it, and I gotta believe and all. But when you actually go to the applicable part of your lives, like when you leave here, how's that work? Because you're probably not justified by faith in your wife. Well, honey, I love you by faith she's gonna wanna see it. She's not not gonna say, okay, well, just like Christ Jesus, I believe you. There there is activity that needs to be associated with that. That's why James came along and made sure that we all know that if you really have authentic faith, there will be works. But works are supposed to come from faith. Your works don't produce faith. And this is where kind of the word of faith, where I came out, I've got it kind of messed up because I say, well, if you just do these things, you'll end up getting faith. That's reversed. The way that it's supposed to be is you believe and from your belief, you will do. Everyone in here is living 100% in association with what you believe your life to be. And if it's sick and miserable and you're oppressed and and your woe is me, and, and if, all, if that's your life, then that's because you believe it to be. And you could probably argue with me, no, 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 I believe different things. Okay, I'll give you this much of a window to get your actions lined up with your belief, because I do believe that you can believe something and not quite unpack it within five seconds. But if it's been five years, you didn't change your belief. You're just telling everybody you do. Stop virtue signaling and actually change your belief. Verse 12 is, the law is not based on faith. It is not. The law is not of faith. The law is good and righteous and holy. Thank God for the law. But you are not going to keep the law by action. The only way that you can have those things manifest in your life is by faith. The law is not by faith. Leviticus 18, four and five says, you who practice my judgments and keep my statutes by walking in them, I am the Lord, your God. Keep my statutes and my judgments for the man who does these things will live by them. I am the Lord. Your life is either gonna be by living in the law or living in faith. Verse 13, this is, The verse that every one of you, I would love for you to memorize and be able to just quote right from the depths of your heart that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. This is the gospel. This is the gospel. Redeem means to buy back, like from a marketplace. And the example that I used last week was that you were like a slave, naked on the slave auction block. And the devil came along and says, yep, I need me one of them. I'm gonna abuse the heck out of that naked slave. And right before the gavel falls from the auctioneer for the sell to Satan, Jesus came along with holes in his hands, and he says, I'll take them. And he bid higher. He bid by the blood of his own, his own blood, and he bought you with the precious price of his own blood and redeemed you out of the slave market, redeemed you out of shame, redeemed you out of nakedness, took you from that auction block and brought you in and made you a son and daughter of the most high God. He didn't even make you a slave. He could have. He bought you. But he decided that he would rather have you as a son and a daughter. The atonement is in full view here. He became a curse for you. That means any of the curse that is operating in your life is illegal. It's a trespasser. You know, my uh, Kay and I's 14 years in Texas taught me a little something, something about trespassing. In Texas, you trespass, and they're pretty convinced the Second Amendment means what it means. In Illinois, you know, it's still up for debate. But in Texas, you just go roaming yourself into some good old boy's territory, especially like East Texas, Central Texas, and you think you're gonna go around there and muck up in his property, you're about to find what a 45 or a 44 means. And it's just. They're protecting their property. If you're trespassing, if you're illegally Doing something on someone else's property without invitation, without rights, by Texas state law, they have a right to defend their property. And if that means to get you off it in a blood trail, then so be it. Any curse that gets into your life has gotten there illegally. Now, it might have got there naturally. You know, Uh, when you buy a property, you have to get a survey. And depending on how old that property is, I just had a friend that went through something like this. They bought a really old property. It was the first time that it had been sold in like 100 years. It was close, it was like 90 years or something. So they had to do a survey. And they basically had to guess because the little rods had all rottened out and all that kind of stuff. So they went back and did all this research. It ended up costing them thousands of dollars to figure this out. So they did a survey and they figured out that the the property line that they thought it was, was something like a hundred feet off. How does that happen? Because in one year, you know, like you just mow a little bit more. And then the next year you mow a little bit more, and the next year you mow a little bit more. And like 50 years later, you come out your front door drinking coffee in the morning, and your neighbors (laughs) What are you doing? Well, this is my property line. When did that happen? A little bit over 50 years. I thought your property line was way over there. Yeah, but see, every year I just moved it a little bit. And that's what the enemy does in your life. A little bit, he moves it a little bit. Yeah. And then you get to this stage and you're like, you know, I'm 40 and why does all my joints hurt all the time? Because you let him over 40 years move it a little bit. And then you get to the point where, well, the only way to get, to get ahead in life is to just work really hard, get a good job, get a corporate, a big salary, you know, and sell your soul to the corporation. That's the only way to get ahead in America now. That's The enemy just moved the line a little bit. You know, Deuteronomy 8.18 says he's given you the power to get wealth, to establish his covenant on the earth. He literally created you with power to create wealth. And then the world, a little bit, little bit, little bit, little bit, little bit, says you need to get a job. And minimum wage is pretty good. We're raising it. Shouldn't you be happy about the raising minimum Yeah, we should. Let's vote. More socialists, more communism. They raised our raises. This is a little bit, little bit, little bit, little bit. Well, you know that... Those preachers are legalistic. You know, if you want to just shack up together and try out each other for a couple of years, you know, drive each other around, see if you really want to buy the car or not, that's totally fine. All those legalistic, old-fashioned, conservative people trying to tell you that marriage is one man, one woman for a lifetime in a covenant, <clears throat> they don't know how fun life can be. Nope. We know. That's why we chose the other way. A little bit, little bit, little bit, little bit, little bit. Well, you can just have one drink. Anybody ever been there? I was. That, was. that was the way I lived my life. You can just have one. It's fine. Everybody's doing it. Just have one. Well, I mean, that was a small one. Here, have this one. Right? And, and sometimes they'll just come along the they'll just move the, the borders you know, quite a bit. Like They'll say, hey, kids, don't do drugs. When I was a kid, don't do drugs. And they had a frying pan, yeah. a black skillet, cast iron skillet, and that sucker was on the TV and they put butter in there, it was sizzling. Like black smoke, kids, don't do drugs because this is your brain on drugs. Amen. You know, I was a kid, I was like, oh my God. <laughs> I don't even, my brain don't even work that good. I definitely want to do that. Like, whoo, I'm not doing drugs. Got it. And I knew some people that had done drugs because we were in ministry our whole lives. And so we were around, and 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 it was, their brains were fried. They'd walk in, hey, man. Dude, how do you go to the bathroom? What a, I don't even know. Their brains were fried. Their brains were on drugs. And so I see the commercial, frying pan. And then I look at the guy, frying pan. All right, not doing drugs. you know what then America does, comes along, says, you know what, we should just make marijuana legal. Oh, it's no longer a frying pan. No, it's really good for you. It's natural, God grew it, right? It's all legal. And while you're at it, here's a vaccine or a hundred. Those are good now. You know, back in the day, when I was a kid, you didn't want to get a shot for anything, ever. Now you got people lining up and bragging about it on social media. Look, I got 14 of them. Wow. This is a little bit, little bit, little bit, little bit, little bit, little bit, little bit. Everything that is in our lives right now that is tearing apart Our souls, our societies, our ways of living, our belief systems—this is what the enemy did. He's just had six thousand years. You just came along, your little sweet innocent self, a couple years ago, and so you think everything that we've learned? Because now you got to you got to realize, like we're the most modern, wise, scientific. Like we've got everything figured out. We've got AI. We can do anything. Like, humanity was way stupid way back in the day when they were all not divorced, not abusing their children, and figuring out life. That was stupid humanity. We're way smarter now. Yeah, I know, we don't know what bathroom to go into, but we're way smarter. (laughs) A little bit, a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. You gotta take that back. They trespassed. The world, your enemy, Life in general has trespassed. It's moved the borders, and you're gonna have to take them back. And you probably have to take it back by force. Because usually when squatters come in and steal your stuff, you don't just show up and say, hey, caught you squatting, you shouldn't leave. Ah, dang, it was good, well it was, I guess I'll see ya. No, you come in. So this is my house. Uh, well, I, I've been here for a while. I, I said, this is my house. Here's the deed. Okay, okay, okay. You have to do the enemy that way. This is your house. All right, let me try it again. I'll try it over here. This is your house. When those symptoms and those things come in your house... You can say, well, hey, uh, um, Satan, if you don't mind, if you're not too busy, could you just move back out a little bit? I mean, just just outside the door? No, you... (laughs) If someone came into my physical home with intent to hurt my wife or my family, or destroy my home. I'm not saying I'm gonna be violent. But violence is on the table. It's gonna be based upon the response. If they come in and they're all like, I'm going into this house and I'm gonna steal stuff and I'm gonna hurt because there's a woman that lives there, and I'm gonna go in there, and then he walk, he busts through the door and he comes in and Steve's standing there. Whoa, I thought you were gone. My bad. Yeah, you're bad. You, you got about five seconds. Now, if he comes in, he's like, hey, I'm here to destroy your house and steal your stuff and do terrible things to your family. And I say, oh, what? Oh, stupid neighborhood I live in. Degradation of society. Bad police, right? We should defund them, they don't do anything anyway. And you just come on in, I guess, since you're here. You know, people do that. Well, since the symptoms are here, I guess I'll just deal with them. No, in Jesus' name. Those symptoms that got into your body, that lack, that poverty that got into your life, those broken thought patterns that got into your soul all of that stuff got there illegally after the crops. You need to take back the territory that belongs to you. Amen. For it's written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Deuteronomy 21, 23, you must not leave the body on the tree overnight. That's Bible. Why don't you leave the body on the tree overnight when you had to do corp, uh, um, You had to murder people. (laughs) You had to murder them back. But you must be sure to bury him that day because, notice because, anyone who's hung on a tree is under God's curse. It It is a public sign when they would hang people from a tree. It was a public sign. Now, this is way before crucifixion even was invented. It was a public sign. This person was wrong and guilty. He was so guilty, we did a public execution. If Steve Castle was the President of the United States, we'd be bringing back public executions. Just telling you. The reason is you must not defile the land that the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. You allowing people to live in violation of society is defiling the land. (laughs) When we let these folks around us do what they do, we allow them to defile our nation. And because we allow it, it has rights. Just like a squatter. You let a squatter live in your house, better start paying the electric bill. Second Corinthians 5, 19 and 21 notice I skipped from 19 to 21, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's trespasses against them. So in Christ, God was reconciling the whole world to him by not keeping track of all of our trespasses. That's awesome. (laughs) Some of you will get that later. And then he committed to us this very message, the message of, hey, by the way, everyone, you're reconciled to God because God was in Christ reconciling you to himself. That's really not the message that a lot of evangelistic efforts are. You you see evangelists on TV and they're like holding signs like, you're gonna go to hell, repent, turn or burn. That's really not the message of reconciliation. The message of reconciliation is, hey, God wanted you to be a part of his family so much that he was in Jesus making sure that you could be reconciled to him so that you could have a great relationship with your father. Verse 21, God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. Nobody knows what I'm going through. Jesus does. Jesus does because he knew. He had to pay for it, so he knows. He knows what you went for, because not only did he have to go through it for you, but he had to suffer the punishment of it. He knows. Does Steve know? Nope. Do I wanna know? Nope. I don't need to know. My solution to your problem is Jesus. Not Steve. Not my psychology, not my sociology, not a pill. Not, my, not waving my magic uh, ministerial wand over your head. That None of that is the solution. The solution to your problem is Christ. That's why the enemy wants you mad at God. The more offended you are at God and God's people, the less likely you are to get the solution to your problems. God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You are the righteousness of God. In Him. In Him. Not in the mirror. In Him. So if you live from in Him, you're going to experience what it means to be in right standing with God. Galatians 4, 5 is to redeem those under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. This is why he did it, to make you the son. That's what Mitchell's song is about. I am the son in whom you are well pleased. And for all the gals like, I'm not a son. Yeah, you are. It's it's not a gender term, it's an inheritance term. You are the son. The son gets the full inheritance of the father, just like the firstborn. Jesus was the firstborn and then he gave you the firstborn inheritance. So you are the son. Verse 14, he redeemed us in order that the blessing promised to Abraham would come. This is is one of the reasons for your redemption. And this is where modern Christianity cannot get it sorted. Because they either reject this, like we're not supposed to be blessed. Our blessings are fake. They're ethereal. They're all in the spirit. You're never gonna experience any of them. They're off there like a carrot in front of a donkey. Just keep plodding away. Maybe one day you'll get the carrot. It's on a string. It's not a real carrot. That's what religion teaches. You just keep on, just keep plugging away. You'll get there. God bless you. The other side of religion is there's no carrot. It's just terrible. Life is terrible. Suck it up. Both of those are wrong. There's no carrot on a string. God's not trying to trick you into being a Christian. And God did the redemption of your life in such good fashion that there are, right now, immediate, present day blessings that belong to you. And they're outlined in scriptures by called the blessings of Abraham. And we get all of these in the spirit through Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1, 3 says that you have all every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. So all of these blessings have been deposited to your spiritual account. So, if you want any of these blessings, they already belong to you. You don't got to pray for them. You don't got to give for them. You don't got to work for them. You don't have to stomp around and bind devils to get them. You don't have to do none of that stuff. They're already deposited 2,000 years ago in your account before you were born. That's what inheritance means. He redeemed us in order that the blessings promised to Abraham would come. So I'm gonna give you a couple of these blessings. Genesis 1 through three is the big one. This is the first one. Abraham is just some doop-de-doo over minding his own business in Ur, worshiping whatever poly-god he was worshiping because they had lots of gods back then. And I don't know exactly how this story works, but basically, uh, Genesis chapter 12 opens up with God just shows up in front of this dude. Wouldn't that be a fun day? You're out minding your own business, worshiping Baal, you know, being a good guy. And then Yahweh shows up. Hey! Who are you? Yahweh. Then the Lord said to Abram, Leave your country, leave your kindred, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I, I, I do not have time to unpack all this. I am already out of time. But he, no, he didn't show up and say, hey, Abram, I love you. You're the prettiest of all the people. Did you do something new with your hair? I love that. You know, we should make it so the Levites do that with their bangs. (laughs) No, God shows up and it's like he's God. Hey, do this. And here's the shocker. He did. This is why God's not going to show up to many people in modern America. He's going to just show up and say, hey, I'm Jesus. I'm the one that redeemed your entire life. I did that cross thing. I've done all these things to get you born again. I want you to come, take up your cross, give away everything that you own, and follow me. Whoa, 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 whoa. Why do I got to do what you want me to do? Who died and made you God? Notice he told him what to do and then he told him what would happen. Two, I'll make you a great nation. A single dude. Let me ask you this. Was Abram a Jew? Well, Was he a Hebrew? This is important that we get this. What made Abram turned into Abraham was him believing the promise. He didn't get dispensed some extra GNA genetic code, DNA genetic code. And so we have, a, we have a, a world today, especially in evangelical Christianity, that we think the Jews are like, they're the real people of God. We're just like the backup. The real people of God were right here, were and always will be people of faith. You're not any more or less special by anything in your genetic code, the color of your skin, your gender, which there's only two. None of that makes you special. What makes you special is that God loves you. And if you respond to his love and answer the call, then you get to be his kid. I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Verse three, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. Abram, not Abraham, Abram, not a Jew. You know, we use this verse like, hey, you better be careful with the land of Israel over there in the Middle East, because the Bible says that if you do something to Israel, then God's going to, what? What spiritual calisthenics did you go through to get to that? Well, because it says in Genesis, okay, who did he say it to? It wasn't a Jew. It was an Abram. Yeah. I'll bless you. I'll bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. Let me, I have to stop. Am I saying that Israel needs to be blowed off the map? I don't, know. I don't know why I have to do this, but I get attacked a lot. Israel is a nation filled with people that God loves. Syria is a nation filled with people that God loves. Kenya, we're going there today. Kenya, it, not we all a Couple people. Kenya is a nation filled with people God loves. I don't know why this is complex. God doesn't love one nation more than another. He loves all nations. And he doesn't want any people group to be terrorized. So will God defend uh, Israel because they're being terrorized illegally? Absolutely. Would he do it for America? Absolutely. Would he do it for a Muslim nation? Would he actually send rain on the just and the unjust? Would he be good to people that don't deserve it? Man. All right. I shouldn't even have gone there. I should have just stayed there. I'll bless those who bless you, curse those who curse you, and all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. If there's anybody that's ever been blessed, it came through Abram. That's what God said. There's more blessings Genesis chapter 12, Genesis chapter 13, Genesis chapter 15, Genesis chapter 17, Genesis chapter 22. I'm gonna do this really fast, watch this. The first one is blessed by God and uncursable. You are blessed by God, therefore uncursable by anybody that's God's enemy. If you don't believe me, go and read this in Numbers when Balaam tried to curse the people of God. Balaam told Balak, I cannot curse them because who God has blessed, I can't curse. Anybody in here that thinks that you're under some kind of a curse, you just need to reread this verse. You cannot be cursed if God has blessed you. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 says, you have been blessed, past tense, by every blessing in spiritual places. So if you've been blessed by God, you can't be cursed by man or Satan. Or government, which is like Satan. The next one is you're going to have numerous offspring. (laughs) Have babies. All of you, not the women. Again, I don't want to have to unpack all that. Come see me later if you think men can get pregnant. We're going to lay hands on you and create a brain that goes in your head. We we should be bringing forth godly offspring, godly offspring, not just popping off kids so we can have a trophy. Look at all the kids I made. You didn't make them. God made them. You just did the front part. We're supposed to be raising up people that are going to live in the covenant of God and take this covenant to other people. That's why God wants you to have kids. He doesn't just want a bunch of people on the planet. He wants us to take cosmic and natural territory. This is spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare is I carry the kingdom of God. And if you are an unbeliever, you carry the kingdom of darkness. And if I come into your kingdom and I convince your kingdom that it would be better off in my kingdom, then I just did spiritual warfare and I took territory for God. You want to do spiritual warfare? Go get someone born again. Genesis 12, verse 7. Blessings to all nations. God wants nations blessed. Not just you, you self-centered little thing, you. God actually cares about nations. Generations. All we can think about is the mirror. God's bigger than that. He wants other people too. I know a lot of Christians struggle with that because they came into Christianity so I can get blessed and I can get fixed and everything can be right in my life. And that's great, get fixed, but then go fix people. And if we fix enough people, we can have a nation of fixed people. Wouldn't that be a lot better than what we got? (laughs) He will make your name great. This was a promise. This wasn't a promise for popularity on TikTok. This was a promise for influence. God wants you to be influential, but the way that you're going to have influence for God is to live godly. He doesn't want you to be a hypocritical Christian and go out there with His influence and make a bunch of people get mad at Christianity. The reason that a lot of America aren't Christians is because of the Christians. I struggle with them, and I'm a preacher. There's a lot of hypocrisy and lying and deception and manipulation that takes place in the name of the Lord. If you're going to do any of those things, fine, go do them. You're free. It's America. You can do whatever you want. But don't do it in God's name. Renounce your Christianity and go be jerks. But if you're going to say, I'm a Christian, I've been saved, I live by the lordship of Jesus Christ, then live that way and influence people that way. And on, uh, then the next thing was that he gave him an eternal covenant. Covenant. There's a good word, beloved church. Genesis seventeen seven. This was an eternal covenant that God was establishing through Through Abram. And check out what that meant to Abram. At 75 years old is when God gave Abram this covenant. 75. 75. Older than Moses' room. 75 is when he started his life with God. And then at 85 years old, he says, hey, you're going to have kids. (laughs) Some of you aren't tracking at 75, he says, hey, I want you to be my people. Uh, okay, people, me, Sarah, people. And then he comes to him 10 years later and says, hey, you're going to have so many kids, it's going to be like the stars in the sand. You're a cool God. I have no idea how that's happening. You do know that my wife hasn't had a baby ever. And she's old too. God knew, believe it or not. At 86, they decide, well, God said we should have kids, so, honey, <laughs> this is where the Bible gets awkward, his wife says, well, we're not having kids, it's probably me, so here's Hagar, why don't you go have a kid? And you know what Abram said? Well, I, just, I could never do so, Okay. That's called Ishmael. When you try to fulfill God's plans in your own effort, you're going to have you and Ishmael. And Ishmael is the whole reason that we have the Middle East conflict. Because Ishmael is over there fighting against Israel. Don't have an Ishmael. You got to deal with him forever. You got to feed him, you got to take care of him. Genesis 17. God cut the covenant with Abraham. Please go read that. That's one of the greatest covenant places in Scripture in Genesis chapter 17, verse 5. Abraham was 99. 99. And he lived in a time before our medical science. Figure that out. 99. He still ain't had the kid. At 100, he had the kid. He started. 25 years after God gave him a promise. There probably isn't a Christian in this room that if God gave you a promise 25 years ago, you'd still be tracking true. Abram did. That's why he's the father of our faith. He stuck with it. He had a little Ishmael over here. Don't do that. But at least he had faith. He was trying. He tried a little too hard. (laughs) uh, Isaac was born, Genesis 21.5. And then everybody kind of thinks like Isaac was born and then Abraham, you know, he's 100, 101. You know, you try to raise somebody going through their terrible twos when you're 102, that'll kill you. I stop by the nursery every Sunday. I go down there. I'm like, okay, well, I gotta go upstairs because if I come in there, it ain't going good. And they're all like, see you, Pastor Steve. You can leave now. We got this. Imagine raising a two-year-old 102. That'll kill you. It killed Abraham 75 years later. Abraham died 175. He actually took God at face value. Okay, so you're gonna give me a long life, you're gonna bless me, you're gonna help me raise children. So I I need to be like 175 because you didn't come meet me until I was 75. I need, need at least 100 years to make all this work. And God's like, okay. You think God cares? You think God's like, whoa, 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 whoa. This isn't a negotiation. You get 72.5 years. Don't you know what the stats are? No, how many years you need? Here's what, you, here's what I'm offering you. How many years you need? Well, about 175, done. You need more? That's part of the blessings of God. If you want to see the blessings of God come in your life, just how diligent you willing to be. How much you willing to fight for him. Well, I don't know. My body kind of hurts at 102. Abraham was outside with Isaac playing football and probably outrunning his scrawny butt. He lived under a different covenant. He lived under a worse covenant. And then... One of the major parts of this promise, this blessing that God gave Abraham was that he promised him that he would give him his presence. Now we take that for granted, you know, because Ryan stands up here and his team and they, and they bring the presence of God and we're all like, woohoo, that was awesome. So anyway, let's move on. It wasn't, it was actually way more valuable and important to these people in the Old Testament. They just didn't get to have the presence of God anytime they wanted to. God didn't live on the inside of them. They didn't have the spirit of God in them. They actually valued it. And so when God promised that he would give him his presence, you got to think about this from Abraham. Like, the God of the universe is going to be present with me? (coughs) Wait, what? This is why these are such huge things in the scripture. For God to say, I'll never leave you nor forsake you, and for us to not understand the benefit of a promise like that? Just means that we have been watered down so badly in our culture. Yeah, I got God's presence. He's with me all the time. Woohoo! Me and him went to the R-Ridge movie the other night, had a great time. He laughed. No, he didn't. This is how important God's presence is. Acts 1038 says God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed. Of the devil. Now, a lot of people will quote that, and they'll stop there. But notice the because. It's the presence of God in your life that's going to make any of these things that Jesus wants to do happen. Jesus was healing people because of the presence of God. Jesus was blessing people because of the presence of God. Jesus was redeeming people because of the presence of God. If there's no presence of God, there ain't nothing that God wants to have happen. You know what hell is? No presence of God. One day I could preach on hell and it would wet every chair in here because if you take that thought all the way to its end, if you pull God out of everything, It will scare you half to death of what the end results of that is. Romans 8, verse 2, for in Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set you free from the law of sin and death. Set you free, past tense. You are free. You have been liberated from the law of sin and death. The law, which has sin and death. Sin and death together equals the curse. Death came because of sin. Sin and death together are all the cursed things in your life. For what the law was powerless to do, verse 3, in that it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as an offering for sin. He thus condemned sin in the flesh. Verse 4, so that the righteous standard of the law might be fulfilled in us, in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. I want to go through Genesis chapter 3, but somebody in here wrecked my time, so let me just say this real quick. In Genesis chapter 3, where most people think that the Bible says that Adam and Eve did something stupid, and so then God came in, slapped them around, and then cursed them for doing stupid stuff. That is not what happened in Genesis chapter 3. Please go read it again. I'm going to give you just two verses, which are the only two verses in the entire fall, the fall of humanity in Genesis chapter three. There's only two times that God used the word curse, and I'm going to give you both of those times. The first one is verse 14. God, uh, so the Lord God said to the serpent, because. Notice because, who initiated the curse? <laughs> this is important. God wasn't just roaming around waiting, so he could just drop the hammer on anybody anytime. This was not on his grid, this was not on his plan. Because you have done this, cursed are you. So the curse was Satan. So who's cursed? <laughs> are you? <sighs> you know how many people that if you ask them like, you know what did God do to humanity after the fall? Well, he cursed them. Find the verse. It ain't in there. I'll give you the second verse that has the word cursed in it, verse 17. And to Adam, he said, he skipped right over the gal. And to Adam, he said, because you've listened to the voice of your wife, (laughs) men, this was was just a momentary thing, don't try to take this verse, well, you know, the Bible says, because I listened to your voice, terrible (laughs) things happen. Because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat, notice, Adam ate it too, anybody that wants to be all bashing on gals, he was there. Cursed is you, terrible kid. Oh, so now the earth is cursed and the Satan is cursed. Well, just so you know, if you live on the earth and under the power, you're going to be under a lot of curse. But whenever you are translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son, and you live under the authority of the lordship of Jesus Christ, you left both the things that were cursed. Amen. There is no curse for you. Generational curse verses. Due Deut- Exodus 20, 5 and 6, Exodus 34, 6 and 7, Numbers 14, 18. I'm gonna just read one of them. They basically all say the same thing. I could unpack them, do some exegesis here, but I ain't got time. So I'm just gonna give you one, give, give you the first one, Exodus chapter 20. This is one of the verses that all the generational curse people try to use to get you to buy their books so they can be rich, so they're not under the curse. You shall not bow down to them or serve them idols, for I the Lord your God am a jealous God, visiting, Let me explain visiting, took note of, oversee, be concerned for, pay attention to. That's what the word visit means. I don't know what you think it means, but that's what it means. I'm a jealous God. I will visit the iniquity. The word iniquity is associated with people who on purpose do things wrong and then therefore have punishment that's required to them. That's what the word iniquity means. It doesn't just mean like, whoops, I made a mistake, so now God's got to whack me. No, it means you on purpose went and did something like, made an idol and bowed down to it. I will visit the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of... Those who were just innocent didn't know anything. Of those who hate me, even if you want to go with the generational curses verses, it's a wrap. <laughs> you have to go. You have to stand in front of a congregation. You're still under the curse. Here's what happened, because your great-grandfather did some terrible thing, so you're still under the curse, because what he did was super terrible. If they're going to finish the verse, they got to say, and it's because you hate God. I'm sitting in a church. You could probably figure out, I'm not hating God. I can tear apart all three of these generational curses, verses, which, by the way, there's only three. They're, They're all specific to things that God said that if you're going to live this way, there is going to be a necessary punishment. Let me give you Ezekiel chapter 18. I'm gonna summarize the whole chapter. 90 seconds. Less than 90 seconds. (laughs) Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, verse one, what do do you people mean? (laughs) I love this. This is why sometimes reading outside of the King James is fun. What do you people mean? You know if God shows up and says, hey people, what do you think? How dare you? What do you people mean by quoting this proverb about the land of Israel? The fathers have eaten sour grapes and the teeth of the children are set on edge. You can probably figure out what that proverb meant. Dad did something stupid so now I gotta pay for it. That's the proverb. Surely as I live, verse three, does God live? Anybody? Right answer is encouraged. Does God still, is he still alive? God's not dead, he's surely alive. I'll sing you the song. As surely as I live, declares the Lord God, you will no longer be able to quote this proverb in Israel. And then we come along in Christianity and we sell generational curses. Behold, every soul belongs to me, both father and son are mine. The soul who sins is the one who will die. You know what that's called? Personal responsibility. You know, those words are cuss words to some of our political movements. Socialism, communism, the left, you say personal responsibility and it's basically like showing a cross to a vampire. (gasps) No, the reason things are bad is because my skin color, it's my gender, it's my social economic position, it's what happened to me when I was a kid. No, it's personal responsibility. God said in the whole chapter, just so you know, the whole chapter of Ezekiel 18, personal responsibility. Personal responsibility. If my dad was a raging jerk and I decide I want to live for God and be righteous, guess what God says? Good for you. Good choice, buddy. I'm on your side. He doesn't say, well, sorry, I know you're trying real hard to live for me and I really want to do good stuff for you, but you do know your grandpa, super jerk. Sorry, sucks for you. Uh, If you don't have a copy of the notes, please get a copy of the notes, because I break down this chapter a little bit better than what I'm doing. I'm going to give you the last two verses of the chapter, though. Ezekiel 18, 31 and 32. Cast away from yourselves all the transgressions you've committed, and fashion for yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. They were literally prophesying the new birth that you and I have. Get into the new birth, people. And fashion for yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. Why should you die, O house of Israel? Why should you stay in the curse, people of God? For I take no pleasure in anyone's death, declares the Lord God. No one's death. God doesn't like anybody dying. Even the ones that you want to die. You know that guy that you really don't like on TV who goes to Washington, D.C.? God don't want him to die either. God loves people. He wants them to get redeemed. He wants them to get born again. God loves everybody. I know, shocker. He loved you. Some of us know how you were. So repent and live. How do you live? Repent sounds just like a message I preached a few weeks back. First Peter 1, 18 and 19. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver and gold, that you were redeemed. If you were redeemed by gold, then someone else could buy you by gold. From the empty way of life, look what the cursed life sounds like. The cursed life is the empty life. From the cursed way of life, you inherited from your forefathers. There's a generational curse. (coughs) You were born human. That's the only one you get. So what are you gonna do about being born human? Verse 19, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or spot, What do you do about being born human? You be reborn in the divine nature. Now you're free. Now you're liberated. Now you're not under anything that happened to the snake or to the earth. You used to live in a cursed sandwich, and now you've been redeemed. Now you live in heavenly places at the right hand of God, and you're experiencing the blessings of God that are the blessings of Abraham, that are the blessings of Christ in the Spirit, stored up for you for the rest of eternity. Please rise so I can bless you.
0: Thank you so much for sharing this time with us as we have encountered Jesus Christ through the ministry of his life-changing word. If you would like to learn more about Steve Castle Ministries and Beloved Church, you can go online to stevecastle.com or belovedchurchillinois.com. You can also contact us at 815-990-0367. Always remember that you are a part of the beloved family of God and beloved church is the place where you are greatly loved